Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we talk about what is evolving in FSC and what innovations are underway. Today will be a bit of a special episode for more than one reason. First of all, because it's a live recorded episode at the FSC event, Would You Find It? in Brussels on April 25th, 2023. Secondly, because it's the first of a series of three episodes based on the content of the day. At the event, EU policymakers, NGOs, companies, voluntary sustainability standards, representatives from producing countries, the competent authorities under EU, the forest sectors and journalists met to learn discover, debate, and imagine together a world in which we know exactly where every piece of wood or paper comes from. The event was built around the brand new piece of EU legislation, the European Deforestation Regulation, or it's mostly getting known as EUDR. The legislation is expected to be approved by the EU Parliament in June 2023 and it's aimed at halting the forest degradation and deforestation in the world by posing new requirements for all products from forest risk sectors which are imported into the EU. Once approved, companies will have 18 months to adjust their systems to ensure that they can upload data on all of the products from forest risk commodities such as wood, paper, soy, cocoa, coffee, beef, leather, rubber and many more to a new centralized EU database used by the customs authorities and similar competent authorities in each country. More tangibly, this will mean that we will see a new requirement that all importers and large operators inside the EU know where their products are sourced from, down to the individual forest or farm plot level, and are able to provide a geo-reference basically a GPS coordinate, about the source to verify that the product has not contributed to deforestation or forest degradation. In short, the legislation will ensure that companies in Europe have actual data to prove that their products are deforestation and forest degradation free. The event focused on how EUDR and its geolocation requirement can play a role in the wooden paper sector taking into account the environmental, economic and social dimension on the matter, both in Europe and globally. In this first episode of three, we will be setting the scene about EUDR by hearing from the EU Commission itself via Astrid Lelefoul, Head of Unit for Planetary Common Goods, Universal Values and Environmental Security under the EU Commission. We will also be hearing from FSC's Director of IT and CIO, Michael Marus. But first, let's hear from FSC's advocacy officer, Matteo Mascolo, who started up the day. The UDR is actually a reality. So recently the parliament has uh, approved the UDR text. Now we're just waiting for the council formal endorsement. And I would like to pause a little bit here. So why don't we take some seconds? And this is the opportunity for me also to say thank you, to congratulate the European Commission the policymakers, uh, the parliament, the council, but actually all of us, because in a way or another, we have been all part of this historic agreement. So why don't you all join me and congratulate with an applause 
particularly the European Commission that we have the honor to have with us, and all of us that we have contributed to the UDR. Thank you so much. So, it's up to all of us now making it a success. So all of us have to be part of the implementation in order to make the UDR a thriving reality. This is not a lobbying event, this is a convening event. And we at FSE have been working on the UDR since the beginning, so also allow me as a convener, as an host, to explain a little bit what is the Foreign Stewardship Council. The majority of you know FSE as a foreign certification scheme, but we're actually much more than that. So we convene different stakeholders, and together we set the precondition for forest resiliency. So we accelerate forest recovery, and we also enhance forest value. So how do we do that? We do that by our members. So we have a very diverse membership, and our members are divided in three chambers. So we have the economic chamber, social chamber, and monumental chamber. And one vote equal one, regardless of the size of uh, the organization. So together, these different stakeholders, we convene them, and together they create the most robust standards for sustainable forest management that are developed globally and then are adapted locally. The main point here is, is that we are taking the UDR extremely seriously. And with that round of introduction, let's hear from the EU Commission themselves. Astrid Lalafoul will set the scene on the new EU legislation. It was clear from Astrid's keynote presentation that the Commission and the competent authorities does not believe that they sit on all the answers, but are looking for support from the NGOs and the industry to make this new legislation work. What I'm quite relieved about is in a way that this has gone from being our, the Commission proposal, and everybody asking all the difficult questions to us. But now it's really an EU regulation, and I'm counting very much on many of you to help us reply to the questions on how do we actually make this happen on the ground. Before coming to the question of why geolocation requirements is needed, I wanted to just uh, quickly set out some of the major tasks we have ahead of us. We will be developing an information system. This will be very important because the system will need to hold all these geolocation coordinates and this system will be put in place before all of this enters into application in order for us to help the competent authorities in our member states to really check what's going on on the ground. Um, there's also going to be a benchmarking of countries and potentially parts thereof. This I, I see a lot of confusion uh, in terms of how the benchmark system is related to, to the obligations of operators and so on. And I want to underline that the benchmarking system is really about benchmarking countries into three categories. And it's really to allow for proportionate and targeted efforts in terms of identifying where the challenges are. The benchmarking systems are not in any way related to any banning of products or anything like that. Today is amongst all of what we call outreach activities. We're doing a lot of that, uh, both with private companies, with um, 
with other stakeholders, with NGOs, and not least in bilateral and multilateral settings with our partner countries across the world and our EU member states. Important dialogues are ongoing um, on how we can best implement this. So, coming to traceability, I think that um, what is really important to say is that we see this regulation as as a means to boost green trade in commodities. It also means that we're expecting that a very large proportion of existing trade flows will just continue. They will just need to live up to the requirements uh, and put in place some of the requirements on, on strict traceability and companies will need to ensure that the due diligence that they in some cases already have in place um, are in compliance with our regulation. So that means that when the new regulations enter into force, the companies who wish to put on the EU market some of the commodities covered by the regulation will need to upload the geolocation coordinates into this information system I, I mentioned. I think it's really important to underline, coming back to the point about simple technologies, that we are not requiring a farmer in the middle of a field in Africa to purchase big uh, satellite images, photos, or to buy all kinds of uh, sophisticated software or technologies. We are requiring that people know where the, their field is. And those geolocation coordinates will need to be communicated as they sell their commodities. Certification is not a green lane in this regulation. There's also a lot of misunderstandings uh, about that in some cases, but the regulation really clarifies that both private and public certification schemes could be used as mitigation tools. They could be used to reduce risks. They are not an obligation, but it's a voluntary choice whether such certification schemes could be used in that sense. When we were looking at the topic, we also identified a number of shortcomings about certification schemes. So, for example, in some cases, some of the schemes could be costly for smallholders. And in that sense, we consider that the requirements we have put also means that a smallholder would not need necessarily to, to spend money on their certification. That would be their own choice. We've also seen in some cases that the certification schemes are mixing various materials and therefore making it unclear what is the origin of the products and commodities entering our market. And that would need really to be changed with the enter into force of this. Finally, we also noted that a number of cases, certificate holders, there were issues with sanctions and corrective measures and also with controls. So we think that it's really, really important that we now all get together. We are super keen to discuss with you and try to find new ways of using all the good work on the ground, but make it happen. This time we really want to make it happen. From the FSC perspective, we couldn't agree more. We fully support in halting deforestation and ensuring that forests are protected and restored throughout the globe. 
This is also why FSC is very supportive of the upcoming legislation and also see it as our role to support implementation. To help the audience understand how we might do that, Michael Ramroos, CIO of FSC, introduced the initiatives ongoing and underway in FSC and look towards the future. In the last two years, FSC has convened and continues to convene a very important set of technology partners in what we call the FSC Technology Consortium. These partners come together because they have an interest in doing much more than their own commercial operations. They want to help the world in places where there are, are problems. And FSC will take issues and, and issues related to using technology or extending technology to the right places. We heard about smallholders communities. Uh, how can you get technology in a viable way into those locations? How can you ensure all of the privacy and, and use the best technology available? We have the technology consortium that is helping us do that and how to also best use some of these cutting edge technologies in the most viable way. Blockchain is something that we've introduced through pilots in the last year and a half. However, we're, we're improving on those pilots and, and we'll be using blockchain technology more extensively. But the, I think the most important part of this is the data. We have for years been conducting traceability-related and transaction-related data through investigations to understand where problems are in supply chains and also to disprove where problems are thought to be. Wood identification technology, we use a variety of them from ones that use, are using microscopes to look at species and, and other aspects of the physical properties of wood, but also uh, stable isotope testing to understand where the origin is of um, any materials that, that you could test. Also, geospatial technology. So, Earth observation, geospatial technology. We have voluntarily collected uh, maps and used geospatial technology to understand different aspects of forest. We've been using this technology for years also to investigate claims of problems in forest as well. So to dig in just a, in a little bit of detail in these three areas of technology, blockchain and supply chain, uh, both the pilots as well as our next generation blockchain system is being built to connect all of the supply chains in a way that can maintain business privacy, but also let the right kind of data and information flow from the source all the way to the final product. And so the geolocation aspect of this, this is that the source location can flow throughout the supply chain, even in complex supply chains where uh, uh, probably different sources would be constituting a final product. Um, Earth observation. So what's new here? Well, we, over the last few years, have collected voluntarily the boundary information of um, almost half of FSC certified forest. Well, the, the new aspect is that we will have all FSC certified forest because our members have decided that we must collect that information. So this is something that is truly game-changing because we will have the geolocation of every single FSC-certified forest, which will allow the ability to not only perform the analysis, but, uh, but also record the information from those sources that are quite precise. So it's already going to be a part of our requirements. Wood identification technology, you'll hear later today from the World Forest ID. We're part of the World Forest ID um, organization as a constituent and a supporter. 
Um, we have been collecting samples from forests so that we can have comparative analysis capabilities. For example, cone with, with um, stable isotopes. We continue to collaborate in that area. The science is continuing to progress. There are many research institutions that also are performing this type of analysis. So these three areas, both the blockchain, data traceability, and, and verified supply chains, um, the geospatial aspect, as well as wood identification science, form a suite that will allow FSC and continues to allow actually FSC to do traceability and have a good handle on geolocation. By the way, with wood identification science, this geolocation can be associated with any part of a supply chain. So if it's the source material or testing any part or component of a material throughout the supply chain, this technology can be used to establish uh, origin. You might imagine both Astrid and Michael's presentation led to a lot of questions from the audience of around 200 people. So let's hear from some of the best ones of those. This is Ulrich Leberle uh, from the Confederation of European Paper Industries. Is the Commission also thinking of a, of a blockchain technology that, that would be in inclusive, uh, that, that, that would be able to integrate others? And the, the other way around to Michael Maros is, is the one uh, FSC is thinking about, one that can be integrated in others. Is it open or, or is it a, a closed system? It's very important to, on the one hand, just look at the requirements of the regulations. I no way prescriptive of telling anybody to use any specific technologies. We have really paid a lot of emphasis on making this data requirement, that is the geolocation coordinates, very simple. So those coordinates, you could take a phone and see. You can use maps that you, that you have whatever is available at the given spot. But then another question is, of course, what would the big companies and federations and so on like to use? And in some cases, your supply chain and your sourcing is very varied. You would already use blockchain technologies, but this is in no way going to be sort of a requirement and something that is... is uh, put on anybody to use such technologies. So we, we try to keep the requirements extremely simple, but we expect that there will be a lot of, of different ways of people finding their way to comply with this. So our, our pilot blockchain that we currently have was already built in this way. The next one will be built with more intention to allow certified companies to connect with any other important services, whether it be their own wood sourcing tools or with other tools that need to report in. This is something that's, that's sort of built into our blockchain technology. My name is Stefan Pinter. I'm with Susano. Regarding geolocation, so Susano is the world leader and the biggest producer of market pulp. And as you mentioned also in your presentation, a big partner of the EU and one third of the whole supply to the EU is coming from Brazil. And I just wanted to use this occasion also to make sure the geolocation for the industry, for the Brazilian tree industry, and also for my company is no issue at all. So we are already uh, capable to show that today where exactly every tree has been planted, where it has been forested and so on and so forth. The thing that we are worried a little bit and that has been mentioned in, a, in another presentation is who to share that with. Uh, 
because we already see that under UTR that uh, going along the supply chain, a lot of customers, they want to have that information. And it's, of course, business sensitive information. So I think that's a big issue for the future to share that with competent authorities, but to ensure also uh, the sensitivity of the data. The second one is regarding benchmarking. We understand the, the scope of the UDR has been extended from pure legality of timber to other commodities. But uh, we also assume that there will be a regional benchmarking. In the, in the case of Brazil, it's a huge country. We understand that we might be uh, benchmarked high risk, which of course, it's not the intention as understand by the Commission to have that, but it would give us a competitive disadvantage in terms of bureaucracy, in terms of checks, in terms of other consequences to the EU market. And that's, I think, not the intention of that. So is there still thinking to have commodities different uh, treated differently or will commodities be put into the same category by region so maybe first also on the question about sharing of sensitive data this is uh, something we are very aware of that there are concerns about that i can assure you that i mean the eu rules on data um, data protection i think are already very strong and of course we will be respecting those rules the data is really collected in order to give the public authorities the best opportunity to, to double check um, on the ground with some of the methods that, that were also mentioned here. And then when it comes to uh, the benchmarking, so again, we, we have not um, done this benchmarking yet. This is uh, one of the big tasks we are, we are starting to look at. But I think it's very important to, again, distangle that a little bit from what will be going on on the ground in terms of companies complying with this regulation, trade flows continuing, trade flows will also continue from any country that may potentially be marked high risk. The purpose of this benchmarking is really to help us implement this in a proportionate manner. So it means, for example, as the regulation also <coughs> will set out that in the few cases, and, and I hope it will be the few cases where countries are actually marked as high risk, this will help us in our co collaboration with those countries to really take forward programs, to try to help them, to try to see how we can work together to potentially move from a high risk to a standard risk. The benchmarking is also not for companies to shy away from engaging in, in uh, high risk countries. It's really just to be more diligent there maybe and, and keep a higher eye and for the public to really focus on efforts on ensuring that all countries move into standard risk or low risk. The one thing that blockchain is an innovation in technology because it, it solves some technology problems of being able to share data, but also being able to share the appropriate um, data with the right parties. So essentially, in, in our blockchain, uh, companies will see the data that they already see today, who they trade with uh, from, for their inputs and outputs. But there will be a layer of information that could be unlocked if requested because you need to trade across borders, you need to fulfill on regulations that could be done in a way that is the electronic version of what would be done today on paper, I guess. So, but data protection is, is fundamental to the system.
uh, Rupert Oliver from uh, the American Hardwood Export Council. I think I'm, I'm representing an industry which I'm actually very excited by this law. It's a, it's a really good law. We've really appreciated it in, in many ways. It's something we've been calling for uh, in, in the sector that I represent for some time, seeing an expansion of the regulation to include agricultural commodities. Uh, and actually, we got very excited when we saw the, the sustainability definition because it looked very like the sort of forestry that we do in the American hardwood uh, sector, where the forest has doubled, more than doubled in volume over the last 50 years. However, having looked at the law now in its detail and at some of the definitions used, we're actually beginning to think, well, we're preparing for a future where we might be able to export very little American hardwood into the EU. And it's, you're right, it's got nothing to do, it's not complicated getting the geolocation data, obviously in the field, in the forest. What is extremely difficult, particularly when you're dealing with uh, small forest areas, uh, with a very, very diverse forest, is building up consignments of, of valuable timber that you can export into the EU without doing a lot of mixing in the mill and you, you're building up uh, consignments from a lot of different forests. A typical mill in the United States will buy wood from maybe 200 uh, small owners every year, and it builds up consignments over the, that period. So it becomes extremely difficult to provide the geolocation data in those specific circumstances. We, we think we've got a solution to this. It's a minor, we think it's a relatively sensible and minor change to the definition of plot of land, which I, which actually at the moment is, I think it's a quite a strange definition relating it to individual real estate properties. So I suppose my, my real question to you is, why did you settle on this, this definition of real estate properties? And how would you use that definition in areas uh, like vast areas of boreal forest uh, throughout the tropics? where actually most of the forest is in large state concessions. It's not real estate at all. And it seems to me that the way that the law is set out would make it, it, it it's inevitable, it will discriminate against areas where you've got lots of small real estate properties, very diverse forests, again, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, the beneficiaries of this will be those areas with very large state-owned forests, uh, which don't have to do so much mixing, particularly if they're develop if they're exporting rather undifferentiated products into the EU market. So it does seem to create barriers to some of the forests actually that you're really trying to encourage. And it could be you could you could make minor adjustments to the definition. I can talk about that later. But just at this stage, why did you pick on that definition? Is this really necessary to deliver on the objectives? If it was simply uh, providing a geolocation of the, the jurisdiction from which it came from, the cooperative from which it came from, then that would, that would work. But saying it has to be every single geolocation of every property on each individual consignment, that's going to be tremendously challenging. If you look back and, and, and what you mentioned in the beginning was your concern about the smaller plots in the scheme, the smaller, uh, the smallholders, be it in, in various sectors as well, and in your case, uh, in terms of sourcing um, wood from the US, I think that there you need to look at the, the requirements on that individual who's selling they know where they're selling from. They know their fields. They know their forests. They have this information and they need to give it. Then it's upstream. It's on the bigger operators that need to find ways to structure this. But as we hear, there are a lot of technologies and 
companies today are already running extremely sophisticated technologies to be able to trace where they're sourcing from. So I think, I mean, this is what has been important throughout putting this proposal is to look at the proportionality in terms of who we are asking to be responsible for what. It is true, we will be collecting a lot of data that hopefully are coming from places where things are going well and fine. But we cannot treat some different than others. And if we are to try to test and verify that actually all the claims that are often being made about things being deforestation free, if then we have to be granular and we have to be able to go back and actually check that. And then you're right, in some cases, it may be that we are quite certain that it will not be difficult to, to check in some regions, but in other regions, this is, is not so obvious. And this is a one size fits all in that sense that we have to treat everybody the same way. And there are still problems in a lot of countries. And that's what we're trying to climb down on. Andrew Georgiou from Enviva, we're a, a woody biomass company exporting from the US. Uh, just thinking about the question have, uh, you know, 2,000 different plots of land providing to a, a sawmill, for example, and then thinking that that sawmill will produce sawdust as a, a, you know, as a waste or as a byproduct from that process. That then may be sold onto a biomass mill or a pulp mill and then further imported into the EU. How would the geolocation data be shared from the sawmill selling the um, sawdust on to the biomass producer? Again, you're not the, the first to come up with and how if that cookie has sourced from ABC. And yeah, there, there are many different cases. This is uh, complex. We're not saying it's not complex, but what we're saying is that if you're sourcing and if you want to put your product on the EU market, you need to know where you're sourcing from. You just need to know where you're sourcing from. And actually, thinking about it, I don't think it's a very uh, unjustified request. To some extent, you can even be surprised that, that you didn't need to know that before. It's perfectly fine to bulk and aggregate and have various things. The person who puts the product that is covered by the scope and, and that is set out in the annex, which uh, commodities and products are covered, needs to have these coordinates. And if we are to try to test and verify that actually all the claims that are often being made about things being deforestation free, if then we have to be granular and we have to be able to go back and actually check that. This is a one size fits all in that sense that we have to treat everybody the same way. At the end of the day, what is important here is who potentially is breaching this and who potentially are liable. That is the, the trader that puts the commodity on the EU market. So if that trader is, for example, a big company uh, sitting in the EU, but always buying um, from other companies uh, in other locations, it will be for that large trader to ensure that in its due diligence, it also has all the relevant information that it may need to have received from the previous uh, intermediate and etc etc so i think as i said again the whole philosophy is really to place 
responsibility and liability on the first person who puts the commodity on the EU market. My name is Daniel uh, Vita. I work for a management consultancy called Currentstone, and we run a, the Bookchain project uh, where we engage with uh, the book supply chain, uh, hundreds of papermakers and print suppliers on behalf of book publishers. Um, a question for Michael. It was great to hear the technology that you're using and a technology kind of suite that you see helping FSC respond to the regulation. And we've been following the pilots that you've been doing closely. What do you see as some of the challenges to scaling them up really and making them apply across uh, the FSC system? And how can we overcome them? The biggest challenge is really a psychological challenge. Like I said, one of the, one of the setting the stage items I said was companies already have to maintain up-to-date materials accounting. That's who they're trading with, the volumes, the species, the product groups. They have to maintain that today. How can they make that compatible, comparable, is the more psychological aspect. I'm working today. This is how I do it. But now I need to do it sort of in a standardized, com com uh, compatible way. That's, to me, one of the largest items to really overcome. I mean, it, it's, you know, you're trying to get companies to work a bit differently so that their data can be more useful and powerful and, um, you know, valuable for them. I think that in our pilots, you know, we... We worked in, this was prior to the uh, crisis in Ukraine, we worked with supply chains in Ukraine, China, tens of thousands of transactions. So the one thing was making that data compatible. They're already maintaining this. How do they make it compatible and useful in the blockchain? The other, the other types of things that came up are data privacy. You know, who can see? But, you know, companies saw that they basically see already what they see today. What they did ask for, though, is how can we use this, if we're connected really all in the supply chain now through the blockchain, how can we make that useful for showing compliance with legal requirements when we're trading across borders? So that kind of, you know, how can you aggregate that information and, and bring it to the right uh, parties at the right time so that it's immutable, you can't double count, you can't reuse the same data. That's, I mean, what the technology itself offers. So but I think that the greatest challenge is to overcome making that information that's already maintained today, making it compatible and letting it flow into this type of information system. My name is Andy Vorhelein. I'm from Tetra Pak. As we buy FSC certified material, when could we expect to be able to receive that kind of geolocation information as part of the, the FSC certified material that, that we're buying? Do you have a timeline for, for this? Planned development of these new features, what we call a next generation blockchain for FSC, will be finalized in the last quarter of this year where we will start onboarding supply chains. One thing that we're working on as well as with this next generation is something called automated onboarding. So let's say that Tetra Pak or even a forest manager wants to be already a part of the blockchain. How do they get the most benefit? It's when all of their connected suppliers are also a part of it. So this ripple effect of enabling something called um, automated onboarding is something that's also important. But you will see over this next period that th this becomes even more uh, real for certified companies to get started. As it is clear by now, companies and industry associations had way too many questions for all of them to fit into this one podcast or even to be asked during the event. The conversation will surely continue. At the end of the event, however, Astrid did sum up the intention behind the legislation quite beautifully, and I think 
we all might need to remind ourselves of this perspective. We've had years and years of lots of good programs and schemes, but nobody to hell liable when there happened to be, oh, unfortunately, there was actually huge areas of deforestation happening there and there. Yeah, but the information, we were told everything was fine, no, no, no. Nobody was liable. We are now making those who want to benefit from putting these commodities on the EU market liable for having done proper checking uh, of where they're sourcing from. And with those words, we wrap up this first episode of three on EUDR based on the Would You Find It event in Brussels. Let's hope that the intentions of the EU come true, that we are able to halt deforestation and forest degradation once and for all with this new legislation. And let us also hope that the intentions of FSC and other organizations like us come true, that we are able to pivot our tools to ensure that they support companies in their actual implementation of due diligence to adhere to the EU legislation and a lot of other sets of legislations coming up. There is no doubt that a lot of work lies ahead for all of us before the expected implementation date of the end of 2024. In the next episode, you will hear from an all-female panel on what those tools to support might look like and what are the next steps. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified about new episodes where we dive into other innovations within FSC and the world of certification and sustainable forest management. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I'm Lua Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.